Psalm 148, verse 7 through 10. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. There is a seemingly endless body of creation that we know nothing about. I I wrote about this recently. Uh, Of all the things that can be discovered cumulatively, we know just a little sliver. Of all of humanity's corporate knowledge, a person knows just a tiny little sliver. You could spend a lifetime exploring just one aspect of that tiny sliver, a sliver of the sliver, and you wouldn't be able to uncover everything. Take, for example, the humble grass, right? We walk on this green carpet. We manicure it to look like Augusta National. Would you say this? Would you say we have 50 or 100 or or maybe even 500 different species of grass? We use about 100 species in seed mixtures in the U.S. So how many global species of grass do you think we have? Well, I'll tell you, there are about 11,400 known grass species. And botanists estimate that this is probably only about half of the ones still to be discovered, studied, and identified. It's 2020, and we've only uncovered half of the humble grass species. Uh, You can read a lifetime of books and not even begin to touch what there is to know, what there is to discover. Our God has given us too much. He has given us an overload. Uh, We have more stuff, right? We have more stuff than we can put into our mouths, into our brains, in, into our stomachs, into our senses. This is not a miserly God that we have. He's not just giving us stale croutons to nibble on. This is not a God who's boring and who didn't create enough. We only know about half of the grass species that he put on our planet. We could never understand. We could never consume. We could never enjoy it all in one lifetime or a thousand lifetimes. His creation is teeming. His creation is abundant. His creation is lush and diverse and full of variety. And Psalm 148 gets it. All of creation screams towards its creator. It shouts it, it or it praises him. 
in Proverbs 30, Augur, we don't hear about him very often because he only wrote one or two Proverbs, chapters of Proverbs. But he has this section in Proverbs 30 where he is marveling and he has this curious wonder at the things that he sees around him. And he says this, he says, these things are too wonderful for me. He says, I don't get, I don't get how the eagle soars and flies and defies what holds me on the ground. I don't get it. But it's wonderful. It's too wonderful. He looks at the snake. He says, I don't get how the snake moves so effortlessly and smoothly and vertically on a rock and between rocks. I don't get it because it doesn't have legs. It's beautiful. It's, it's too wonderful for me. He's this poet and philosopher, and he's watching and he's observing. And he says, you know, I don't, I don't get how these ships navigate the seas, the high seas. He doesn't get the density and the flotation and the movement and harnessing this wild power that can kill. And how these ships harness that power and they don't get crushed. He says, it's too wonderful for me. I don't get it. And then he says a final one. He says, you know what else I don't get? He said, I don't get that, that, that human love and connection and the sparks that happen between a dude and a young lady. And he goes, it's too wonderful. I don't understand how that happens. If you examine it up close and turn it over in your head, I don't. It's too wonderful for me. He has given us too much. And we could never enjoy it in a thousand lifetimes. So what do we do? One, we enjoy it. We enjoy it. This morning, can you enjoy the things that he gave you? Two, we give thanks. We give thanks for however much of it we can see. We enjoy it and we give thanks. The two go together. When you enjoy the Creator's gifts as from His hand, you'll be even begin to enjoy the Creator Himself. Enjoy the things He's given you. And give thanks to the generous hand. Psalms 81 verse 10 I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Yes, he's given us too much. And in having so much, too much to know, too much to understand, too much to enjoy, for us in our brokenness, it's actually too much for us to handle rightly or use rightly or use in the right proportion. We use too much for ourselves, don't we? We use it for the wrong ends, the wrong purposes. We, we want to eat all the candy in one sitting. We want to stuff it all in. And oftentimes, we hate the way that is right. We resist the pains of going without. And so we think to ourselves, I'll just get it myself. But our God is a provider. 
Jehovah Jireh means God provides. And he gives us grace to help in the time of need. In both the desert and the oasis, God provides for his children. He does. He sees and he knows our different, varied needs. And he meets our needs in different and varied ways. His grace matches our need. A friend of mine I played basketball with, Steve Barber, calls it multicolored grace. And he gets it from 1 Peter 4. In 1 Peter 4 it says, you know, each one of us has received certain gifts from God and they're all different. And, and then we use those gifts for the advantage, yes, for ourselves and then others as well. And then Peter says this in 1 Peter 4. He says, we are all caretakers of the multicolored grace of God. And Steve, my friend, tells this story where his dad used to work for the telephone company and they had him at first out in the field uh, reconnecting these huge cables that had been accidentally cut. And these huge cables were actually made of much, much smaller, hundreds of smaller wires and they were all color-coded in hundreds of colors and, and patterns with several, several different colors. So that, so that what would happen is that you could only connect to the right one. And there were hundreds of these wires and they had to be a perfect match, otherwise the system wouldn't work. And then he says this, he said, that's when it, my dad found out he was colorblind and he got fired from the telephone company because he couldn't match the correct color to the specific perfect matching color. But that's a good image, isn't it? Peter is saying the grace of God perfectly matches our unique needs. He provides uniquely, specially, perfectly with his multicolored grace. We are not left to ourselves to meet our own needs. And we thank God, don't we? We thank God that he has provided in great uncertainty this year with his multi-colored grace. 2 Thessalonians 1 through 3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. You know, trusting Jesus as all of your standing and rightness can really only happen in a community. Wholeness can only happen in a community. And in Second Thessalonians, Paul makes that connection. This reliance on outside goodness is connected to growing love for each other. When you have conditional love in a community, when you have love given because someone has performed well, when you have love given for jumping through the right hoops, you're in essence having a community that pays for love. 
And that makes a community cold, critical, and canceling. And so we thank God for a community that believes in Jesus as our rightness and performance together and not alone. I, I have friends who came to California and some of them are immigrants. Some came from smaller cities. And most were glory seekers and fame hounds and dream hunters. And, and unless you hit it very big, L.A. is not a friendly place when you are alone. L.A. doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're here or not. It doesn't care whether you can show up or not. It doesn't care if you're sick or not. It doesn't care if you have cancer or not. It doesn't care. But this is the beautiful thing, is that in God's community, God's community does care. You may whine about how, much, how little it does, but it does care. This past seven months, it's made me value a community, but not just any old community. It's made me value a community that believes and longs and hungers and prizes for the same things. A community that reminds me life is coming, Tim. Life is coming. A community that lets me know that pain doesn't get the final word. Not in the story of my life or God's story. A community, um, I've seen a community that gives me encouragement when things get dark. A community that gives me grace and acceptance and knowing. A community. And a community like that is faith strengthening. They go together. Paul gets that in 2 Thessalonians. The increased affection of relationship has helped my faith. And so I'm grateful for our community this Thanksgiving. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I believe that we are highly educated, highly capable people. I think for most of us, we think we can control key variables in our life that will bring about favorable circumstances. And even if we feel temporarily powerless, um, we might think we know where to find the answers. We might think about even more strategies, more moves, more resolves that will do the trick. But sometimes there are circumstances that come along that render our educations and our strategies useless. And then we have to see all over again that God moves above and through and in our movements and our lives and our circumstances to bring about his great story. There's, 
nothing better or more encouraging than seeing how nothing can stop or thwart or frustrate or unhinge God's story. One of my one of my favorites is Joseph. His dad, Jacob, messes up the whole family system through his favoritism. And Joseph embraces the favoritism. He becomes smug and spoiled and, and just and just plain annoying. He really can't be lived with. His brothers aren't really serial killers. They're really not. The tribes of Israel are named after him. But they thought it would be better to leave Joe in a big hole than to put up with him anymore. That's how annoying Joseph was. And Joseph could have had a prayer from that pit. God, save me from this hole. And God did not. Uh, His brothers thought money would be better than a corpse. Uh, A corpse can't buy you anything. And so they traffic him to some traitors. And Joseph might have had a prayer, God, save me from this slavery. Nope. God didn't. He tries to conduct himself appropriately when in Egypt. Potiphar's wife, ancient cougar, tries to fix her daily boredom. Joseph bails, leaves his cloak, does the right thing, really. What does that get him? He's accused of betrayal, a sexual predator. He, get, he finds a prison cell, forgotten. He could have prayed this, God, do you not see the injustice? Do you not see me in this cell unjustly? Would you save me? No. He meets some inmates and inmates talk. They become close. The two get out. And he has a little bit of hope because they say, we'll totally remember you. But no, Joseph sits in a cell. An outsider, a different nationality. He's a slave. He's powerless. Um, He's a nobody. He doesn't get care packages. He gets no letters. It's deep, deep loneliness, isolation, and abandonment. He's almost 18 when he was kidnapped. And when he was traded, and and he was probably in prison anywhere from 2 to 13 years. I like the last one with the details that were given. 18 in life to go, to quote Skid Row. No prospects, no levers, no manipulations, no friends, nothing. Nothing to get him out. And God finally pulls him out. And he didn't pull him out because he had a fancy coat. He didn't have any political strings. He didn't have any wealth. He had no dad but his heavenly father. There was no family getting his back. No integrity or honesty or capacity to convince someone. No merit. And God pulls him out. 
And then he rises and he gains power and he gains wealth and all kinds of influence. And how does Joseph look back? Oh, 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 oh. What you all meant for evil, God meant for good. There was not one situation in his long life that was a God stopper. There was no one person or power that could stop God's plan for fullness. He sees his story, right? He see, Joseph sees his story as something more than the parts of ugly. And today, right? You, me. The sons and daughters of Jacob. We must see our stories in the same way. The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. And he will continue to do it. There is not one thing in your life or my life that is a God stopper. And for that, I am grateful.